How can you conquer life's challenges if you run away from them? In today's story, a man motivates youth and men to gain strength from facing their fears. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. Millions of people experience various forms of abuse in their childhood. These experiences can leave a lasting mark causing depression, anxiety, and fear throughout their adult life. My guest today is Maurice Martin, who after conquering his own battles, is teaching others how to find strength in facing their own demons. Maurice, I finally get to meet you. Hi. Hi, I am so excited just to be actually able to see you and talk to you uh, and really looking forward to this conversation today. And then also thank you for being vulnerable in advance because there are not a lot of people who are willing to put their story out there. And I say that lightly. Um, there are men that don't always share their vulnerability because society has said, oh, no, you're a man. You got to be tough. But we're not doing that. We're going to break these stigmas. And I know that I can do that with you. So you have a, an interesting story. When you were in your 20s, you were an award-winning songwriter and vocalist. Yeah. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. But as everyone knows, in success, there's also darkness. And mm-hmm. there's things that people don't want to talk about because they're not sure if they're supposed to talk about it or how they're supposed to talk about it. And in that darkness of your success, you had depression that led down other things, right? 100%. So was it the success of being a songwriter that brought you there? What, what was it? I, I wish that was the case. Um, I think it would have made more sense. But I've often heard people say that success magnifies what already exists on the inside of you. And I think that that for me, that was also true, that I started to accomplish a lot of the things that I wanted and I was working so hard, but with every award and every accomplishment, it almost felt like I felt worse about me. And what I ultimately had to face was, I had really had anxiety and depression since long before then, even in my childhood. And so it was, it forced me to actually come face to face with me and what was going on on the inside of me as a part of that journey. You talk about your childhood, which I, as I'm getting older, not that much older, (laughs) I'm learning different things with each person I have had the blessing of sitting in front of, whether it's in front of the camera or just meeting in my path of life. And the childhood seems to always be that thing that comes up, right? Digging up in the backyard, that childhood thing. And the childhood... It is a platform of trust, stability, um, habits, how we treat other people, how we look at ourselves. And so could you deep, give, dig deeper a little bit as to what that childhood was? Because you were doing success. People are like, oh, I'm successful. I'm, doing, I'm chasing my dreams. I'm doing what I want to do. But again, you just brought up childhood. What was the childhood part that you're, you're talking about that is bringing you to where that success was great, but then it also brought you back down? Absolutely. You know, the the moment that I knew my childhood was affecting me was actually a few years before where we started talking. I was about 19 years old and I was a, a freshman in college and I started attending therapy. And I remember I was talking to the therapist and just describing some things about my life in my childhood because she was asking me questions and she stops me 
And she says, Maurice, when you talk, you keep using words like love and discipline to describe your childhood. But I'm hearing stories of abuse. I'm hearing things that just sound like wounds and a wounded little boy. Why is it that you don't use those words? And I remember I thought I did something wrong. I was almost confused. No, 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 no. I wasn't abused. I, you know, I was never chained up in a basement. I never, I never went through those things. And she said, Maurice, you're describing abuse. And so one of the things that we have to acknowledge is sometimes the mindsets and the mentalities that grow within us in our childhood becomes things that imprison us in our adulthood if we don't challenge them, Mm -hmm. right? They become limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. belief systems where we think, well, I'm not good enough for that, or I can't accomplish that, or I'm never meant to have that. Now, those aren't, that's not a death sentence. It's absolutely something you can overcome, but it doesn't always feel that way. And so that was it for me, um, physical abuse, verbal abuse, watching my mother go through a lot of of, um, of abuse starting about age four or five years old um, is when I really started to first witness it and then experience it. And so it had some lasting effects on me that I'm just now, even in my life, really beginning to overcome and move past in life. So I'm going to go here only because we're going to break stigmas and being vulnerable mm-hmm has to be done. You mentioned briefly about being chained up in a basement. Was that figurative or was that real? No, that was figurative. So I was saying, I was saying that for me, I thought because that had never happened to me, Mm -hmm. that I had never been abused. Right. So I, I thought about like the news headlines that sometimes you see. And I thought that you have to have that type of experience for it to be abuse. Well, you you look back later and you realize that if you're, I'll say it this way. I haven't said this publicly before this way, but I'll say it to you. My mother, when you talk to my mother even today, my mother has a hard time describing the abuse she went through. I remember the first times that I watched her get punched and thrown into walls and thrown on the ground. And when, when mom is getting hit and hurt, it's always seen as abuse. But sometimes when the same force goes towards the five-year-old or the six-year-old or the 10-year-old or the 15-year-old, it's called discipline. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is you think that the anger that's coming towards you is just love. It's just daddy trying to make you better. But really what it was was someone who was unhealthy and unhappy, um, who didn't really have all of the skills available to parent me in a way that wasn't abusive. And so, you know, I've had to do my work to learn to forgive and to learn to really understand what that was. But those moments were moments that left me with wounds that I needed to heal into scars, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I'm going to say this from the child that's in me with the reference of you talking about the child. Did you feel that being that little boy, you had to protect mom? And so then that became the part that you had to say, I can take care of anything and everyone, but no one's going to hurt my mom. And that meant you were sacrificing the health of yourself mentally wise, not probably physically. Completely. Um, I I have this memory. Um, 
one thing that I, I'm a major advocate of, of not only therapy, but EMDR, which is um, therapy specifically for trauma, I've gone through that myself. And one of my first childhood memories, honestly, is being about five years old and sitting on a flight of stairs as mom and dad were in the midst of a tussle and feeling like if I don't speak, mom will not be okay. And I remember the weight of that moment and finding the courage to speak up and say, stop hitting her, stop hurting her. And I remember the almost the awestruckness that they both had in that moment of realizing, oh, no, we woke the baby up. Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't the last of those moments, but it was a real moment that was defining for me. And so sometimes what happens in a person's life, and it happened to me, is that I learned to have a voice for others. And to be an advocate for others, it kind of comes naturally to me. What I didn't understand how to do was to how to advocate for myself. Yeah. And that didn't happen until much later in life because I don't think five-year-olds are supposed to know how no. to advocate for themselves. No, and no, so no. that's been a part of my learning journey. Being a boy, though, society and just, I guess, being built as a boy, obviously I'm not, but I have a son um, that you take on this role that I'm just, I'm going to take care of everybody. Don't know where it comes from. But then you had mentioned the trauma that goes in there too. So that actually, like you said, you wouldn't know at five years old what you're supposed to be doing. Nobody does at all. I know. I had my own stuff that I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing at five. And now you look at life so differently. But there was still (laughs) some darkness that continued on before you actually had realized that that wasn't the right thing to be doing is taking care of everybody else and not taking care of yourself, as you'd already mentioned. Absolutely. There were some other darknesses that you were in there, and what we want to get to this as well is we escape. Whatever we find is our vices, everybody finds an escape, a vice of some sort. And then we justify, well, this is what happens. This is why I'm doing this, and deal with it, right? What was your vice or your escape? I wish I had just one. I think the first vice was my music career, to be honest. Um, At first, I found myself a workaholic, trying to chase dreams and chase fame and trying to feel like if I can accomplish enough, I'll feel happy and I'll feel whole. And when that didn't work, then I started to chase happiness in the inside of a bottle. I started chasing it in in marijuana. I chased it in women. I I looked so many different places to find something that would make me feel whole. And what I found was what I was turning to, I was drowning in, Mm. right? I was drowning in the solution to to the problems. It wasn't actually helping. And so by the time I I hit 32 years old, um, I I often say that was my rock bottom place in life. I I was drunk almost every night. I was high during the day at work. It was just very, very much not characteristic of who I had always been in my life. And it, and it sometimes felt like that was the only solution to my problems, which it obviously wasn't. And so, yeah, that wasn't a, a good season of my life. It wasn't a good place for me to be in. But had I not hit that rock bottom, I never would have stood on the foundation that I'm standing on now in my life. Rock bottom is different for everybody. It's a yes, word. It but it depends on where we are in our travels of our life to say, that was my rock bottom, right? Some people would say, oh, that ain't rock bottom. What was your rock bottom? Mm. Did something I think specific? I almost think about two rock bottom moments. Okay. I had two brothers die in two years, mm-hmm. uh, one in 2015, one in 2016. So as you can imagine, a lot of grief, a lot of pain in a season where I was already in a dark place. 
And so the first rock bottom moment um, is a memory I have of me driving down a highway, thinking about ending my life. And I remember that the thoughts were, if I go left, there's a median. If I go right, I go into the woods. What is the way that I can do this where it's going to take hold? And, and that was the closest I'd ever really come to feeling like, I, no, really, I, I don't want to do this life thing anymore. The second rock bottom that I think of, unfortunately, in that day, I never, I never went that far. And there's a little bit more to the story that I can share later. But um, the other rock bottom moment I think of was about three months after that moment. My wife and I got married about three months after the day that I wanted to kill myself. My brother had, my second brother had died in the middle of that time. So if you could imagine this, I proposed to my wife on a Sunday and my little brother was sitting beside me and by Thursday he was gone. Mm. Two months later, because we had a, a really short engagement. And so on my wedding day, it was probably one of the saddest days of my life. And I remember that I was, um, after the reception, we went, we went to a hotel and I went outside and I had an anxiety attack standing outside of the hotel. Can't breathe, can't think, overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live. And now I'm accountable for somebody else. Mm. And I don't want her to have to live through what she's already had to live through with me, even in engagement mm. and in our relationship to that point. And so I, I consider that a rock bottom moment where on your on the what's supposed to be the, one of the happiest days of your life, you're crying tears. You cry, I cried myself to sleep that night. I was broken. Yeah. And I think that the one thing that, that really saved my life was that there was just this little inkling of hope that I felt like something greater than me had wanted me to do better. Something greater than me was calling me to better. And so I just clung to that with everything I had and said, I got to get sober and I got to change. Mm. Wow. A day that's supposed to be joyous. Mm -hmm. You didn't get to feel that joy. You felt that pain. Mm -hmm. And yet you made a very powerful statement about how you realized that you actually were responsible now for another individual in your life. That's it. So that thought that you had had prior to that about turning left or right into the woods or to the median wasn't an option anymore. You now had to, as most of us don't want to, push through it. Yes. And that, and that is where and, you are. And I loved your words there because I don't know that we always realize it's a choice. Mm -hmm. You can choose to live. Sometimes what it feels like is you could, you're going to choose to die or you're just going to continue to bear through whatever. Mm -hmm. No, no. Like there's such a thing as living but not being alive. Or, or being alive but not living, right? Where you are a walking, talking robot. You, you're, you're not really feeling. You're not really engaged. You're not really present in the moment you're in. How many times did I drive to work and the car drove me there? How many times did I, get, did I involve myself in conversations, but I was checked out of the conversations I was in? And what I realized was, I've been the walking dead. I haven't really been living. I've just been kind of surviving. And so that was the first time in my life that I realized maybe I can choose to live, that I can choose to push forward and persevere through this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if I choose to do it, perhaps the path will become available to me and will make itself clear. And I really feel like that's what happened to me. And it wasn't going to be easy. You had no idea, like any of us, 
Everything you just said, everyone has experienced, thought, felt, right? It's just a matter of where we are on our journeys. What message in that would you like to give hope to someone that felt that that there wasn't anything but a crossroad? What would you suggest to someone that's in that darkness? One of the, the first things that I would say to do is to close your eyes and say thank you for the crossroads. One of the things that you learn in life is that some people don't get to stand at crossroads anymore. Crossroads are an opportunity. And even if you're standing in a dark place, the, the light and the hope is actually on the inside of you. And so if you would just say thank you for that moment, mm -hmm. thank you that there's still breath in your lungs and, and thank you that your heart is still beating and thank you that you have another chance, that in itself becomes the, the, the light that is hope. It, it starts with gratitude in my opinion. That this, that this day is no accident and I get to live it. Will I appreciate it? And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And I, and I know somebody's listening today and they're saying, I don't have anything to be thankful for. I've had tragedies. I've had heartbreaks. I've had loss. But the truth is your life can honor everything that you've lost by how you live moving forward. And when I realized that, it shifted my mindset and shifted ultimately the trajectory of my life. 100%, 1000% agree with you. And and in the moments that we feel and we we do this, we go through a lot of roller coasters of emotions. One day we're happy and the next day we're like, I don't want to do this and I don't feel like this and but we go through those constant emotions, right? Um <laughs> This is where I'll say this is the moment that you're feeling this way. It's probably not the best feeling you want because maybe two days ago, yesterday, you were happy. Here you can say, it's a temporary moment. This, sh this too, as we've heard, this too shall pass, right? That's it. That's it. A lot of these cliches, I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> now we're learning what these mean, right? I actually, I think asking yourself the question, what do the words mean, mm -hmm. is part of how you grow. I'm a why guy. So if you say, you just need it this way, I'm always going to ask why, or what does that mean? Or how do you even do that? And so when a person says to me, this too shall pass, or all things work together for the good, or whatever they say to you, I say, prove it. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> and I think that when you seek the answers, you start to find them in your life. What message would you like to tell anyone right now that has got their childhood still haunting them, and yet they're an adult? One of the things that I will say is anything that you don't face will continue to haunt you. But everything that you learn to face, and, and you may not be able to face it on your own, and I'm not trying to say that. You may need therapy. You may need a pastor. You may need somebody to stand beside you in that process. But anything that you turn and face will lose its power over you. And that's a process. I'm not saying it's a moment. But that's the most important thing that you can learn. And here's the second thing I'll say to that. Perhaps there's a little boy or a little girl on the inside of you that has been waiting for all of these years for somebody to say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And they they thought mommy or daddy would say it, or they thought their sister or brother would say it, or grandma or grandma grandpa would say it. But what if I told you that it's not for them to say? Mm-hmm. Maybe the only person that that little boy or little girl will believe is you. And so I've had to learn how to speak life to myself, how to encourage myself, how to say, hey, little Maurice, I know sometimes you get overwhelmed. I see, I feel you in there. I know sometimes you're worried that when when it's a down day, that it's the proof that I'm really not gonna make it. Mm-hmm. But Maurice, we're gonna be okay. We're still on this journey. We still have the breath. Everything is still happening. We can make it. Sometimes that's for me to say. And so I just would, I would invite you, speak life to yourself and you will find yourself less haunted by yourself. Beautiful. And with society thinking that men have to be strong, that's not true. That's not true at all. How could you encourage a man or a young man right now with them thinking, as you've already given the childhood that you had, that they don't have to have that coat coat of armor on that says, I'm invincible and I don't have to acknowledge anything else but what everyone else needs from me. How would you help someone in that situation? I would begin by asking them a simple question. As you listen to me share my insights, do I seem strong or weak? Mm -hmm. And what we realize is that sometimes what is depicted as weakness is actually the true strength. And sometimes what is depicted as strength is weakness. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Many boys grow up with the words, big boys don't cry. Well, maybe big boys don't, but grown men who are healthy do when they need to. And so the reality is, I am so healthy because sometimes I sit with my pain and work through it. And sometimes I deal with my anger and I work through it. And sometimes I deal with my sadness and I work through it. Those emotions were in there for my entire life. But in many of the moments when I was younger, I thought I was being strong enough to be consumed by those things. Now I realize strength is facing those things. Vulnerability is a superpower. Saying I'm not okay, but I wanna be, is the start of getting better. And so I would say to any, any man, any boy who's listening, really ask yourself what really is strength? How does a person show strength? And I would say facing your fears, strength. Facing your vulnerabilities, strength. Running away from everything that you feel and pretending that you don't feel it, weakness. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Are you still an award-winning vocalist? <laughs> uh, my, <laughs> only for my kids at this point. Uh, I, I, I often say that nowadays, my voice is mainly just used as a speaker. Um, I do have, I don't know if you can, can you see it back there? Yeah. I've got a keyboard right behind me, so I do still play music a little bit. Um, but at this point, I, I really have focused a lot of my creativity and my attention on, on my speaking and preaching and all the different things I do and not so much on the music. But, but my kids certainly get me to sing at least once a week. <laughs> music is good to the soul, right? It sure is. And there's different types of music for obvious reasons because it depends yes. also where our soul is, right? Absolutely. That's what I've learned with music. There's stuff I'm like, how do they listen to that? But I go, nope. 
that's not where my soul's at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have I have started to share some of my cheat code with people. And the truth is, part of the reason I wear headphones is not for the interview itself, but I'm, I'm playing music right now. So I actually listen to soothing therapeutic music when I speak, and it calms me and it brings me to a place of peace. So I, I, music is still a huge part of my life. And actually I, I'm a part of a prison program where I actually go to a youth prison once a week and I teach music to teens. I don't usually talk about it publicly, but. Oh no, um, do so, share, share more, I had no idea. Sure, yeah, I, cause I almost never talk about it publicly, but mm -hmm. I'm a part of a program called The Power of Harmony. And um, it's a beautiful program where we go to a youth prison once a week and we teach some of these prisoners music. And so, so that's how I kind of, of share music nowadays is either through my family or with ministry. Um, just, I still have a love for music, but it just doesn't do the same thing that it did for me in my 20s and in my teens. So when you say share music, how to read it, how to play it, how to sing, what specifically are you teaching these? We teach them how to sing. Um, and so actually what we do is um, we teach them different pop songs. Well, I should say old pop songs that are safe for them to listen to <laughs> and, and for them to hear. And we, we just, we give them freedom through the enjoyment of music. How There's old are so they? much freedom that comes from it. How old are they? Uh, a lot of them are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, yeah, so they're they're all very young. And it's it, it can be hard, I'll be honest. Sometimes you're talking to kids who have been in the system for a long time. And when we're talking about hope, that's the word. Many of them truly are hopeless. And so you're taking those moments not only to teach them melodies and teach them rhythm and teach them harmony. You're also trying to, to give them a message that you can overcome the situation you're in. You don't have to stay this person forever. That's one of the most important things. And ultimately, that's the most beautiful melody I can ever give someone. Wow, that's very powerful. I, I'm beyond words. That is very powerful because they are in a setting where they don't feel like there's any hope. They're not out there enjoying the things that we out here, someone would say they're going to complain about. Mm, there's always a different situation that someone has a reason to complain or wishes that they had something that someone else has, right? Absolutely. And, and what we, is it? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say we all need that perspective mm -hmm. that, hey, it's bad, but it could be worse. And I'm, and that doesn't mean we should ever belittle our, our, our situations or our problems, but that little bit of just hold on a second, it is bad. But it's not as bad as maybe your emotions are telling you it is. So take a deep breath and calm down and refocus. We all need those moments. How'd you get involved in that? Uh, actually, I had a, a friend who I, I, I met. Uh, I met him about this point about nine years ago or so and I was I was the music supervisor for an independent film and um, he was one of the producers for the film and he became eventually a part of that program and he reached out to me and he said Maurice I would love for you to be a part of this program I think you could really provide a lot for these teenagers and actually I was resistant at first I thought man you know I'm, I'm already kind of busy I don't know about going to a prison all the time that sounds depressing and overwhelming and the first time I went I said oh okay, I'm supposed to be here. Um, and so sometimes, again, we run from the very things that, that we're being called to walk towards in life. Wow, another powerful one. So I have to ask this then too, because you talked about in the very beginning, the little boy who had to grow up and wasn't ready to be growing up. You're mm -hmm. now in a situation where there's abandonment, probably abuse, hopelessness with these boys. How does that make you feel as the adult-bodied, 
but then there's the little child, the little boy inside of you. What does that do for you with these boys? What a great question. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that it gives me uh, a huge amount of perspective. There's these moments in childhood where I will say, at least for myself, I wondered why me? And then I quickly hid the why me and said, never mind. <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> deal with the question at all, right? Sure. Again, because I wanted to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm being honest, that question of why me and why is it this way? And then almost it got worse when I was in my 20s, right? Now I'm chasing these dreams, but I'm miserable, I'm depressed, and I keep wondering why me, why me, why me, why me? Now I sit in front of these kids and I've been through enough pain that I can relate to them. But I've also seen enough miracle signs and wonders in my life that I can be a light for them. Mm. And in that moment, I feel like that's why me. That's why me. Mm -hmm. That's why I've had some pain. That's why I've had some struggle. That's why it wasn't always easy. That's why. Because I'm in this life for more than just me. And whether I'm talking about some of the moments I have standing in front of my own son or sitting in front of my daughter or moments where I'm in in front of these individuals who are in desperate need of hope, it's it's the memory, it's the the real is not the memory, the realization. This is why it was me. Do you ever get an opportunity to talk to any of these young men to see or hear what this music does for them? Being that we've already talked about the hopelessness feeling. I I do, because as you can probably imagine, I have a very hard time not being me in front of them. And so, you know, at first, at first you're just teaching music, but at some point the the conversations always shift. And, you know, a lot of these young men, they they like to write music themselves. A lot of them write rap lyrics or whatever. And and what you find is that rap lyrics are usually journal entries, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so you, you find out about the pain that these men are in that they don't really know how to show, the pain that these boys are in that they don't really know how to express another way. And so when I sit down and I ask them, what is this music doing for you? They have a hard time putting it into words other than that I think it gives them a glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. It's something to look forward to. It's something that makes them feel a little bit more free for a few minutes. I I also think that some of them don't exactly know how to to prioritize the feeling of hope in their lives. Sometimes hope feels like something that I should push to the side because the hopelessness is the real life. And teaching them that the hope is actually what you must put front and center is one of the lessons we often teach. Mm. And you won't know in their future how, I mean, you've already talked about how old they are. We don't know where they're going to be. There'll be a day where you're probably not going to see them again for whatever reason. And you're not going to know what happens in their future. But you got to have control over it this very moment when you are a part of their life. So thank you for, for doing that, even though I don't know that lifestyle. I don't know anyone that's in it. But everyone deserves to have someone believe in them, shed some light in a darkness that a lot of people don't think they have a voice for or that anyone wants to hear about, right? Absolutely. I think that what you and I are both experiencing in our own journeys is the power of seeds of hope. I think that what, what, at least I'll speak for myself, what I've always wanted was to see the hope take shape right in front of me. That's the most beautiful moment. I'm a, I'm a chemical dependency counselor. I'm a life coach now. I'm a speaker. And so, yes, there are moments when I get to see aha moments happen right in front of me. There's moments when I see the light bulb turn, turn on and the person's life shift for the better. I do get to see it sometimes. But I've had to learn to really honor seeds of hope. 
that it's just my job, it just maybe to to reach down into a deep part of somebody's life, a dark part of somebody's life, and put a seed in there and say, someday this can grow. Now you're going to have to be around some of the other right people so that the seed gets watered and make sure you get around some light sometimes so that you get the sun. And over time, I hope it'll grow, but I may not get to see it. But I honor the seed planting process now more than ever. Very well said. <laughs> it's always that sowing of the seeds that we hear another one of those cliches, right? Yeah. Or Oprah's known for saying, you know, faith, it's just the size of a mustard seed. And that's so that's small it. if anyone's actually looked at one. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, actually have a keychain that someone sent me and it is literally, it, it has a, a mustard seed inside of it. And it serves as a reminder that it doesn't have to be a lot of hope. Just a little bit. I, I remember that there were that there were nights, and I share this sometimes so that maybe somebody can relate. There would be these nights when I would be laying in bed and I would think to myself, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Mm. And I thought that more more nights than I really like to remember and like to admit to. Mm -hmm. But then there was moments in my life when I saw in somebody's eyes that I was important or that I mattered. Mm -hmm. or that I had value. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that some of those moments gave me the little mustard seed of hope that I had to not kill myself or to not give all the way up or to, 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 to go one more step and endure one more painful moment. You know, once my life started to transform, that doesn't mean the bad things stopped, right? It doesn't mean the bad days ended. It simply means that I saw the purpose in perseverance. I realize that perseverance is what builds your character and ultimately grows you into the person you've been called to be in life. Some people haven't gotten to that point because I've heard people say, there's no purpose. I don't have any purpose. And then there's the age old question. What's the point in life? Right. Mm. I learned it, from some stuff and talking to people such as yourself. The purpose and the point in life is what you make of it. Mm. And I really feel that we have to go through all the different emotions, all the different yucky stuff to appreciate what life is. It's in, sure. it's in existence. It's what we're doing within it that makes life is how I perceive it. I really believe that what you search for, you find. And I know a lot of people who search for negativity and they find all of it that they're looking for. <laughs> so if you search for the answers to the questions, you'll find them. What is the point of this life? I don't know. Go figure it out. And if you if you go looking for it, you'll begin to find it. I, I see the point of my life in, in my wife's eyes some days when she makes a delicious meal and takes a bite of it and enjoys it. And she's happy that she has me to look across the table and say, wow, was that amazing. It's moments when uh, just now I did another interview. I walked out of the room. My daughter came running up to me and went, daddy, 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 how did it go? There's, I don't, I don't know what that is, but it's, it's part of the reason I'm here. And then moments where I'm speaking right now, I have no idea who's going to watch this interview. I have no idea who will be affected, but I can just feel in the core of my being that this interview matters. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, if you start searching for why you're here and searching for meaning, you'll begin to find it in the little things and in the big things and in the things that even seem trivial, you'll find it. Perfect. Oh my gosh. I had another question, but you kind of got into my head and you answered it. <laughs> I love it. 
I don't know if I'm getting good at this or I'm actually getting good with the people that want to say, I have a message and a story I want to share. So thank you for being that person today <laughs> and that voice and that light for someone that's going to need to hear just what you said today. Thank you, Maurice, so much for your time. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler. Thank you.